In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again to you and to all of you who are watching online. So glad to have you here this morning. Uh, Over several of the summers that I spent in high school and college, I worked as a camp counselor at Camp Greenville. It's a YMCA camp uh, right on the North Carolina, South Carolina border, kind of in the mountains. Uh, And it was... It was north of Greenville, not quite to Brevard, North Carolina. And just an awesome place, very important for me in in my life growing up. And on this camp property is a chapel. It's an open-air chapel, and it sits on a cliff overlooking this expansive mountain views, valley and mountains, gorgeous, just an incredible place uh, uh, you know, it has a cross overlooking this view, kind of kind of like our cross, but with the mountains, and just magnificent. Great place to worship. Also, a great place to hang out with your counselor buddies on your night off. And uh, and so uh, one night we were we were, a few of us were off, and we went down there, and we were hanging out. It was dark, dark in the valley. We was probably a light on in the chapel, but it was dark, dark, dark. And we're just sitting on the cliff, telling jokes, hanging out, you know, and I said, well, that was before the lab work and the CAT scan, and everybody laughed, and um, not really, and, uh, and out of the dark of the valley, we heard this faint cry, help, just, just went ice cold in our veins, and just, just went white as a sheet, we came again, Help! And we called out, hello! Help! We need help! And we cried out, we hear you, and help is on the way. And two of my counselor friends uh, stayed there at the cliff to call out to this voice in the night to let them know they weren't alone, and I took off into the woods to find them. No, I didn't really. I, I dro- it was before cell phones. I drove up to the camp office. And I um, called the park ranger. And the park ranger confirmed that there had been a, a man and his son who had checked in as hikers earlier in the day but had not checked out. And let me tell you, the rangers got to work. They uh, did not just send one ranger, you know, get, wake him up out of bed and send him in with a flashlight. They sent this whole team of highly trained, highly skilled mountaineers, EMTs, dogs, helicopters with floodlights. I mean, the whole deal, it was, uh, they were serious. It seemed like overkill to me. I was just in high school or whatever. But it was, uh, there was no doubt that rescue was on the way and those who were lost in the wilderness were going to be saved. What happened, apparently the pair had gotten kind of turned around and then the boy fell and had some sort of leg injury and it just got dark before they could figure out where they were and, and how to get out of this wilderness that they were in. So in the pitch dark of the forest, uh, they're huddled up and scared, and the dad faced the facts. And there was just nothing he could do to get them out. He did not know where he was. And so he called out for help. And I, you know, when I think about that, episode, I, I always, I've wondered, did the, did the father feel foolish, uh, helpless, or hopeless, calling out? I mean, just thinking, nobody's going to hear me. Like, there's not people in miles and miles of, of me, and yet in his, de- his, his desperation for rescue was overcome by his skepticism. 
and he called out. And we were there. We heard him and we responded. And of course, I tell you that story because that's where the season of Advent starts. It's this cry in the dark for help. So we're the ones in the valley. And you remember from last week where this last week's really where this sermon began. And, and we said that Advent starts with facing the facts. That things are not the way they ought to be. Not out there in the world and not here in our hearts. Theologian Fleming Rutledge said poignantly and concisely, Advent starts in the dark. And the Gospel of Mark seems to understand this. Now, we're going to look at both passages today, but we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what makes the good news good is that it intervenes. It interjects itself. It like parachutes into the reality of our bad news, that things are not the way they ought to be. And so the gospel begins not in the manger, not under city lights, but in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in the darkness and spiritual lostness. Mark's gospel begins not with Jesus, but with John the Baptist appearing out in the desolate countryside. The Israeli wilderness, which is not lush like the mountain wilderness in Camp Greenville, where I heard that cry, but it is parched, it is dry, it's virtually lifeless. And all of Judea and all of Jerusalem were flocking to John the Baptist in that parched, barren land with the cry that things are not the way they ought to be. Especially in here. And they were coming to him with this cry for spiritual help. This, they were feeling this interior wilderness that was just as parched and dry and lifeless as the landscape around them. Maybe for them it felt like guilt or shame from some past event. Maybe it felt like helplessness in the, uh, in the face of a giant problem. Maybe it felt like loneliness or emptiness after the loss of a loved one. Maybe it just felt like surely there's more to life than this or just a thousand other things. But whatever it felt like, what's interesting is that Mark tells us these feelings, they were indiscriminate. Like everybody felt them. He says that people were coming to John from the Judean countryside. Now, these are the rednecks, right? These are, these are the ones, the poor, the less educated, the nomads are eking out a living. And people were coming to John from Jerusalem, meaning these were the wealthy, the cultural elite. These were the ones who had it all from a worldly perspective. Because the gospel story starts in the wilderness for all of us. Last week, Advent began with our own cry for help in the dark. O come, O come, Emmanuel. But this week, this week comes the unlikely reply. I hear you and help is on the way. St. Mark begins this gospel story quoting our passage from Isaiah chapter 40. It says, I'm sending my messenger before you, a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. I think
think that Mark is doing more than just referencing a prophetic uh, passage that refers to, um, to John the Baptist, but, but I think that Mark is actually drawing our attention to the much greater promise of rescue in the wilderness, and he's using this whole Isaiah passage that I think his, his first audience, Mark's audience, would have, have known and understood. And so we're going to turn to that passage now. And as we do, you may know that this chapter, chapter 40 in Isaiah, begins an, an entirely new section of Isaiah's prophecy. For the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, he has brought a consistent message, a promise of judgment to God's people. Isaiah is God's mouthpiece. And so he is, on behalf of the Lord, is repeatedly repeatedly. Uh, pointing out their sin, begging them to repent, because if they don't, God's going to bring judgment upon them. And sure enough, they refuse to repent. Generation after generation refuses to repent. And finally, God, who has been very patient throughout the centuries, sends Babylon to defeat the land of Judah and carry the inhabitants of Judah off out of the promised land and off to Babylon. Judgment, and it was devastating uh, to God's people. And this second section of Isaiah is now speaking directly to those who have experienced that judgment, to the exiles, those who have been devastated by uh, the defeat and the humiliation and the consequences of their own sin. So, what does the Lord say to them? He says, I told you so, right? You got what you deserved. No. To those who are in this wilderness of life, who have lost their identity, who are overcome with sorrow and grief, their words, uh, the words of the Lord are essentially, I hear you and help is on the way. He tells Isaiah, comfort my people. Comfort my people. Tell them, Tell them that the warfare is ended and their iniquity is forgiven. I think it says in our version um, that the price has been paid. She's done her time. And, and that sounds good, right? Like that's, uh, but then there's this one that catches us up short. It says, tell them that they have received from the hand of the Lord double for all their sins. Now, i got to tell you, I mean, I don't know how bad their sin was, but, but receiving Twice the punishment that their sins deserve does not sound just. And further, it really doesn't follow with tell her that the price has been paid and the um, and, and she served her time. The warfare is ended. It doesn't it doesn't seem to follow. And and you can imagine that scholars have have wrestled with what does what does Isaiah mean here? And at least if some scholars point to um, uh, an explanation that I think makes a lot of sense. And it um, it is this that that they point to this tradition in ancient Israel where a landlord would place a parchment paper on the door of their tenants uh, who were severely behind in their rent. And, of course, the parchment declared, it showed how far in debt they were, how late they were on their payments, this open, sort of humiliating public declaration of, of the debt that was owed. But if some nice benefactor came along uh, that, who wanted to uh, in, interject themselves into this situation and pay the debt on the tenant's behalf, what they would do is they would take the 
parchment and fold it in two or double it over. And they would place it on the door, doubled over, and that meant to everyone this debt has been paid in full. And it was called receiving double. And Mark's audience would have known that, and Isaiah's audience would have known that, but it's lost on us. And so Isaiah, I mean, I just think that makes a lot more sense. That Isaiah says, tell them their warfare is ended and their iniquity is pardoned and their sin debt is paid in full. And so Isaiah tells them that their sin is pardoned. That's the first of two words of grace that Mark is reminding us of by quoting this passage from Isaiah as the beginning of his gospel. But it goes on, and from the first word of grace to the second, um, Isaiah builds this bridge. And, um, and it's a strong bridge, and he says, he says um, tell them the word of the Lord stands forever. And the, gla- the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. In other words, the, the Lord does not make idle promises, right? He, if he says it, it's done. His word is his action. It will not be repealed. If the Lord has said it, you can take it to the bank. And so what is this strong word that stands forever? It is, um, he says, their sin is pardoned. And on the other side of the bridge, uh, he says that he will tend them like a shepherd. Feed them like a shepherd. He will gather them up in his arms and carry them close to his bosom and gently lead them. It's just this tender, gracious word to those in the wilderness. Mark is using this Isaiah passage to speak to us in whatever wilderness that we find ourselves in, parachuting the good news into whatever darkness we're crying out from. Mark is using this Isaiah passage to draw our attention to the forgiveness and the present tenderness of God. And that brings us back to John the Baptist, who himself is not very tender, right? He is this sort of fire and brimstone wild man in the wilderness. But what does he tell us? As God's prophet, the mouthpiece of God, he says, Basically, I hear you and help is on the way. The rescuer is coming. The Savior is on his way. John says, I'm baptizing you with water. The one who's coming, the one for whom I'm preparing the way, that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means, John is saying that his baptism, the water baptism, is external. It is an outward symbol of inward change. It's a physical reminder of our need for reformation and for forgiveness. But Jesus was coming to do on the inside what John could only symbolize on the outside. He was coming to baptize internally and solve the problem in here that things are not the way they ought to be. Right? Christ is coming to grant exactly what Isaiah promised, the actual forgiveness of sins and the tender and consistent presence of God. He's coming not as some annoyed park ranger with a flashlight. He'd rather be somewhere else. He is coming in power and great glory with singularity of purpose to leave no doubt that those in the wilderness will be saved. 
He's coming to declare that your sin is forgiven. Your shame is overcome by grace. You are reconciled to your Father forever. If He says it, it's done. His word is His action. It will not be repealed. If the Lord has said it, you can take it to the bank and you can begin to live as if it is true. So on this second Sunday of Advent, if you find yourself in dark valley wilderness, or if you don't, you have, or you will, because that's life, you can always be sure that your great shepherd hears you and help is coming. He is coming to, he, he is not coming to find out who's naughty and who's nice. He is coming to save those in the wilderness. Jesus is coming. He hears you and help is on the way. Amen.